This is a Research in Practice podcast, supporting evidence-informed practice with children and families, young people and adults. Okay, so you started off Love Borough Families. Um, how did it evolve over time? So we took 20 families initially uh, and we worked with those families for, so we started in 2014, we had an evaluation in 2016, the end of 2016, um, Northumbria University did our did an independent evaluation for us and that evidenced a number of really positive outcomes, uh, some which surprised us, so things like um, a reduction in what they called contacts in health, in CAMS, and in adult mental health, less out-of-hours calls, uh, less GP contacts, and then the things like reduction in child protection. The child protection numbers, although we only had 20 families, I think we started off with, I think it was something like 21, 22 children on the child protection register, and 16, 17 of those um, came off the, uh, the safeguarding plan, they call it now, don't they? Uh, we had children returning home and staying at home Um, we had a dad who'd been in prison for years in and out of prison for most of his life and uh, has now not been in prison for about six years I think in total so things like that but also the evaluation uh, worked with some of the families and the families were very keen to say that what made the difference to them was a sense of belonging that they almost regarded Love Barrow families as family, as extended family. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that that meant that they, that led to all sorts of things that they could do and changes that happened that we would not really have focused on at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, that sense of belonging and trust. And the other thing is, I called it true co-production, but a couple of parents said to us in the early days, it was they knew that they could trust because when they looked into well one of the the mums said to me when I look into your eyes and you look back at me I see that I'm equal to you you don't you don't think that you're any different to me Mm. and that's quite a difficult thing isn't it to measure or to evidence um but I think when we talk about magic dust which is what we've talked about a lot over the years with love bar families in various um presentations and things that we've done I think that's probably it. That that is the magic dust, and it's uh, it's a person to person thing as much as it is a theory or a way of working. Mm-hmm. And that's obviously really important, especially um, as from what I understand from you, uh, your talking here is that it was part of the statutory service at that yes. time. They were on a child protection plan yes. at yes. the time. Yeah, so one of the things I didn't say earlier that I probably should have done is that the families, the original group of families that um, helped us to design Love Barrow Families said that they didn't want to be passed from one organisation to another and they didn't want to have to live in fear of children being taken away. That was one of the things, that was their words really. And so we thought quite a lot about what that meant and talked to the families about what that meant. And really what it meant was they wanted honesty and clarity about what social workers were saying to them that needed to change. And they wanted to be able to be involved in that and make some decisions for themselves about what they focused on first, you know, to do things step by step. Um, So we had an agreement with the local authority that the social worker in our team, so my colleague Alison Toovey, the lead social worker, she held the child protection cases 
So that was one of the differences between us and some of the other troubled families, because some of our funding came from troubled families. Um, that was one of our differences, was that our local authority at the time supported us to be able to do everything, including child protection. So we didn't have to hand those families back to somebody else when a, when a concern came up. It mm-hmm. stayed within our team. Mm-hmm. And is that still part of your work or has that changed? Yeah, so that changed. So after the evaluation at the end of 2016, um, it became evident that the funding uh, that was being used really to support, to fund my post and my colleagues' post as the lead social worker. So the funding we had from the local authority and from health was no longer available. And I had a choice about whether uh, whether I... Um, left Lovebarra families and went back into health or whether we tried to do something different and what we decided to do was set up as a company so that's what we did in order to keep going so from 2017 we were we are Lovebarra Families Community Interest Company and that's been a huge learning curve <laughs> and what it's meant is that we have had to seek our own funding to keep going so for the first year and Alison, we had one one salary and we shared it between us. And then um, as we learned the rules and we learned how to approach funders and write applications and present what we were doing, uh, we managed to get funding for other members of the team. So the team is quite a well-established, well-funded team, but it is a community interest company. So we no longer do the local authority work that we did. We still work with families, but the families that we work with have a social worker from the local authority. Mm. And how secure is that funding? I don't think anybody can ever say that it's it's secure, but it, it's it's a whole new world. So most of our funding we get for either two or three years, so we know we're fairly safe for the next probably three years. Mm. But within that time scale, obviously, it's the same for any charity or community interest company. You're constantly looking at um the future mm-hmm. and so how did the, the 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 work that you you do with families change when you became a community community interest um group when you were funded by a community interest group yeah i think it was already changing because we were learning much more about the community side even before we became a community interest company so the time bank you know those things i was talking about we were already focusing on those things a bit more building capabilities mm-hmm. so the focus had changed slightly um but when we became a community interest company we went back and looked at our original mission and our values and we invited one of the things we've done over the years is had events where everybody comes together so all the families come in and all the staff come in and we look at what we've been doing and what's working and what needs to change and we so we rewrote our mission and and we rewrote well we call we call them our ingredients and the ingredients are having an open front door so that's different so it's about trying to react respond to whatever comes through the front door so if it's a request for food we can look at that. Um, if it's somebody that's in care proceedings and wanting some uh, support, we'll we'll do that. Uh, so whatever comes through the front door. So an open front door, mm-hmm. trying to get things right first time for people. So that's very much about using the skills and the experience that we have and the assessments. We still use the dynamic maturational model of attachment to try and understand, like I said before, and make sure that whatever we do, it's what's needed. Because I think sometimes as professionals, we do lots of stuff 
that, and we don't know whether it's what's needed or what's helpful. Mm. So an open front door, getting it right first time, uh, build it and they will come. So the the idea of families wanting to come rather than being referred, so almost like an alternative service, really, and then active citizenship. So that's very much about building on what I was saying before, really, about trying to help people to take the next little step and mm. get to where they want to, to get to. And also, I guess, I think it feels like the families are starting to lead much more uh, running Love Barra families. You know, the, the, the families who are employed and the families who are, we have a, a project board that, uh, that families are involved in and their voices are really quite at the forefront of, of everything we do now. Mm, that's interesting. So, in what ways have 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 you um, taken on board the the views of the families to to move the service forward? And, and... I think that that's that was that when we looked at when we became a a cake a community interest company and we went back and looked at what we were doing. They are all things that the families have told us. Really, the getting it right first time, I think, maybe is more to do with um, as professionals knowing that we need a really solid. Uh, sort of framework behind us, theoretical framework to understand, because it's quite complicated. Life's complicated, isn't it? Trying mm. to work out how to help. But the other things, the open front door, build it and they will come, the active citizenship, they're all things that families have taught us, really. Mm-hmm. And do you find that you get a lot of families with having a, a, an open front door policy yeah. for the families committee? And what, what, what kind of, what I mean, a typical day won't be the same every day but what are some of examples of things that people walk so, through the front door yeah for? I mean obviously it's different now because of Covid so you know it, it, but before um, before Covid we we seemed to get a number of people who were struggling because they were in care proceedings and they were struggling emotionally with care proceedings and I think we probably got a reputation for being able to listen to people and support people emotionally so we don't intervene in care proceedings you know obviously we don't hold that role anymore but when I was a social worker when I was a young social worker we supported parents even if children were being removed you know it was, it, uh, and some of the case conferences that I've been to over the last few years that that empathy and that understanding seems to be missing and I think it is possible to be in a really difficult situation with a parent who's losing the children and yet be able to allow them to cry and to be angry and upset. Mm. Uh, It's interesting because I think it is a reputation that we've got with other families out there that are telling families, look, you know, you can go and have a cup of tea and people will listen to you and will help you to understand because it's quite a complicated process, care procedures. People don't always know what it's all about. Mm. So for that reason... We have we do a number of activities that uh, for children and young people that seems to have caught on. Families come and uh, either ring or just come and ask if it's possible to join in in those things. Um, do uh, we have fair share food every week? So people come and ask for food. We've been doing. Uh, I know we're going to talk about COVID a little bit, but during COVID we've been and there's been a bank of volunteers that have been cooking meals and delivering a nice cooked meal and a proper activity family activity for families every week mm. uh, over the last few months mm-hmm. yeah. so 
So do you have a space there where, where then where people can come, they can sit down, it's a nice environment for them, they can have a cup of tea, they can have something to eat. So just trying to get a sense of what the what the 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 layout and, and yeah. So when we first started, like I said, it was more kind of office based and we used other people's venues. And then we got our own building, which was in the middle of the town centre and it was an old neighbourhood um management building. And it had a room downstairs that you just walked into. It used to be a jeweler's years ago, so it's like a shop front. And it was there was a really big room that we just got two settees. We bought two second-hand settees, and we had a kettle and whatever. And it, it worked really well that people could just come in and and chat. And then we also had offices upstairs that could be used for the assessments and you know the um, the more in-depth work, I guess. But we did lots of things in that. That, that big room, we had Christmas parties in there, we had Halloween activities with all the children. Um, we even did like an animal handling event where we had a lady came and brought um, various little uh, animals that she was teaching the children about. Mm. So it was very accessible, that was really accessible. The building that we're in now, we moved out of that building because it was shared with another project and we kind of outgrew it. So we're in a house now, it's the old Firemaster's house in Barrow and again we've kept that although it's not as big and we have a front door right you know it's, you can't don't just walk into it uh, we've kept a room very similar so there's a table with chairs around it because that's what people find that they want and um, one of our team Diane who's a front of house she and Dean who's a community champion uh, they're both employed they kind of look after people bring them in make them a cup of tea and if they can't help then they'll come and find somebody else who can mm, mm, interesting so people can come to you what about any work that you do out in the community is there any examples of that kind of work we've done a lot of work over the years in partnership with other services so the food uh, delivery project that we've just done uh, with they're the people that we used to share our old building with. They're uh, um, set up by two people who have struggled with addiction themselves. Um, so it's an abstinence-based addiction project locally. And also Drop Zone, who are a youth project. So we worked with them to, to, to make the meals and deliver uh, the meals. Um, we have really close relationships with... There's a number of organisations in Barrow... Um, statutory and third sector who know each other really well and who have a similar kind of ethos mm. and so there's another project called the Birchall Trust who were set up to work with families where there's been sexual abuse and um, so we did things with them like where I would go and do some training for them for their counsellors uh, attachment training free of charge and they would allow us to use their rooms when we needed to free of charge mm-hmm. I don't know if that answers your question yeah yes it does yes it does so you've already talked talked about um, the work of Pat Crittenden um, and the um, dynamic maturational model and the adult attachment interview are, are there any other um, underpinning um, ethos that informs the kind of work you do from a theoretical perspective yeah, so the Love Barrow Together work that's kind of grown out of Love Barrow families is really exciting. And 
we are using the similar kind of values ethos to try and spread that way the way of working more widely so we're trying to develop a, a, a values and behavior framework uh, around things like love equality equity understanding those things and we've just started to talk about how we could almost train everybody right across the board in in some of the things that we're thinking about and this idea of an open front door so that if somebody turns up at housing but they've got a need that's not to do with housing they don't get turned away um so the ethos is very much there and um, i think we've moved even more into thinking about community development and one of the people that's helping us working with us we've got some really good people working with us so Carmack Russell is uh, has done a lot of work in asset-based community development um, and he is working with us in with in Love Bar together uh, to try and help people to hear the voices of the residents more than anything and to design what we do around what they're telling us and that's not quite as straightforward as it sounds because I think one of the things we have to do is if we really want to listen to people's voices then we have to hear what they have to say even when we don't like it and do something about it so Carmack's model has been uh, is quite key at the minute and he's just written a book that we're going to be using actually as a basis for some discussions rekindling democracy I think that's just been published this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of Pat Crittenden's books, actually, that's really helpful is Raising Parents. That's a really lovely book. But Pat Crittenden also has a really good website that she's got lots of information on as well. And she travels. Well, she doesn't at the minute, but she has travelled the world. She's travelling through Zoom, I think, at the moment, teaching people. <laughs> uh, so we're hoping to train some people using Pat Crittenden's work as well. And the other person who's working particularly with the Borough Council is Hilary Cotton. And Hilary's done a lot of work innovating. Um, she's, she did some really good work in Wigan. Uh, and she's also got a book that seems to be creating a bit of a storm, and that's called Radical Help. Mm. So Hilary's involved in supporting our CEO for the Borough Council. Uh, and some of her work is around uh, trying to influence um, the the statutory services, the senior managers, and uh, to try and work together to do things differently in Barrow, because Children's Services is run by Cumbria County Council, so we have the County Council, but there's Barrow Borough Council, and what we're trying to do, how as a Borough Council, we take responsibility for our own children who live here. You know that up to now, we've done, we've been quite quite good I think at uh, working together in terms of housing and those kinds of things there's a lot of good work happened particularly because of COVID but it's difficult because child protection and child in need and all the children's services side of things that's the county council so that it's always felt a bit tricky but what we're trying to do and what Hillary's supporting Sam to do is to bring some of that together so the county council can support us and work with us in Barrow as a borough council to do things differently so it's watch this space really as to as to what we can manage to do but it feels quite an exciting time to be in yeah that's what I was just thinking how exciting that that is with all the changes um yeah and obviously got to rear its ugly head is is COVID-19 and obviously you had quite a strong place in the community before the pandemic but I was just wondering how that helped during the pandemic and you know what has happened 
during that time, subsequent to that time, and likely in the future as well? Yeah. It's been difficult. It would be wrong to say it hasn't, because I think the sense of belonging that people got from the building, clearly that, that isn't isn't there in terms of being able to physically come in. But we have done things like we've got a WhatsApp parents group that's worked absolutely brilliantly well. It's such a simple thing, but families have been able to just stay in touch with each other. And sometimes it's just talking about where they can get a nice Chinese from or something like that. You know, it's not not anything other than just touching base. And we've done things like um, we've done a sing-along with a local uh, artist performer. Um, we did it, we're not doing it now, but we did it during COVID. And so the way, one of the mums, one of the new mums that came along really liked singing. So she used to sing to us all. So at the end of the sing-along, she would lead and, and, and sing. And she's done it at some of the activities, the events that we've had outside as well. So that's been another really good way of... Um, I suppose supporting people, it's been nice for that mum to be able to do it and it's helped her and it's been lovely for other people to hear her singing as well. Mm. Uh, so whilst, yeah, we've all, we've all had to learn fast, haven't we, with COVID. Uh, so we've tried to do as much as we can virtually. We've had some events outside that have worked really well where people have been able to come together socially distanced. And we've been lucky. I haven't mentioned... Uh, this before and I should have done really the Lan Kelly Chase Foundation have been really supportive of us over the years and they've really helped over this period of time as well uh, and we've had some funding through the Hardship Fund from the council and through a local funder Cumbria Community Foundation so Cumbria Community Foundation gave us the money to be able to cook uh, support the volunteers to cook um, and deliver a meal to I think it was 120 families every week for for about four months and it was the idea of that was it wasn't really just about the food it was about all right yeah about, about people feeling like they were connected to one another and that somebody cared about them you know we have a number of uh, single uh, people who struggle and come to us you know that, that we're really finding life difficult and being able to look forward to um, Greg the delivery man coming with a smile and a chat and the the, the food um, has been really important you know yeah. for them quite significant so we're trying to keep our values but find find different ways of um, conveying them I guess yeah. And is there anything that you're likely to take forward from, from, from what you've learned during COVID? Or is it work that you were already doing anyway? I think food, the thing about food will take forward. So we've got a big freezer in Loughborough families. And although we're not, we, we, we haven't had the, the funding stopped now to fund the actual cooking project, we have got enough funding to be able to cook some meals and freeze them so that families can just pick them come and pick them up when they need them because as I said before there's a lot of families who they don't know where their next meal's coming from so to be able to just do that is the other thing I think that I haven't said is that we've started to I've started to run listening spaces so listening spaces it came about because partly because a lot of the uh, services, a lot of the third sector services and statutory, the, the staff are really struggling and managers are struggling to support the staff. And the listening space is a structured, it's a structured safe place where a small group of people, so seven people, can come together and listen to one another 
Um, so everybody listens to one another for two minutes and then we go around again and people can say about what's impacted upon them and people are asked to hold their own reactions and feelings to things and just listen to each other. And it's been really moving as to what how that's worked. And that's been over Zoom, you know, so they'll that will be something that we're gonna we're gonna keep doing and we're gonna try and use it, I think if we can, as a way of inviting residents in to talk about some of the difficult things that are happening in Barrow and, and help them to be able to um, share how they feel, even if it's not what other people want to hear, and listen to other people's views. Yeah. So we'll definitely take that forward. And I think the other thing that's happened here, and I know it's happened in lots of other places, is it feels like everybody's kind of dropped everything and just decided to help each other. And because we've got a really forward-thinking uh, CEO, uh, Sam, the council have been much better at allowing neighbours just to be neighbours and not rushing in and panicking about what people are doing, just to see see it as doesn't have to be a professional or a, they don't have to be called volunteers. It's just people doing what they know how to do, looking after each other. So the, the, the work that you, you've been doing, it's obviously having this kind of ripple effect beyond the Love Borough yeah, group yeah. to you know within the the, the borough council and, and and wider as well. Yeah, I think there's a real appetite between everybody, um, and it's funny really because I think as I've got older, I've at my I've become more ordinary. I suppose I feel a bit like all the training that I've had over the years. It trained me to be a professional, and and I'm not saying it wasn't good. It was good. But there's also something about sometimes you can be trained to be, well, A, too helpful and B, to be a bit distant, you know. So I think those barriers between the people who help and the people who are helped have broken down somewhat because we're all struggling, you know. Mm. So like I said before, the staff are struggling. So it's, it's become much more open, I suppose. Mm. You know, we're all just people and some people struggle more than others and we can all help each other. So I think that's that's been uh, one of the 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 things that's been good I guess from COVID. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We've we've seen that in in other forums that that we've had about this um, feeling of much more equality between professionals and 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 families. Yeah. Because everybody's going through the same same thing. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and sometimes families are, get that more than we do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, looking to the future, um, if um, other local authorities or borough councils were thinking of doing something similar to what you've done, what advice would you give them? It's a big question, that, because it has been such a journey. Mm. Uh, I would say find the champions, find the people who really get it who really want to make a difference at all levels or like we've just said we're all people you know you can have somebody who's a, a director of children's services and somebody who's a, a, a domestic or a, a child and family worker who um, can think in the same way have the same ideas and can support each other uh, and hang on to them I would say that's really important and for the senior managers to really know that what they have to do is support the middle managers to make the change because we found that's often where the obstacles were and some of it was around risk and anxiety 
but I think the senior managers, really senior managers, have got the kind of authority to give people permission to work in a different way, aren't they? I think the other thing to say is that when I first set out, and because of the sort of person I am as well, I wanted it to be neat and clear and to know what I was doing and where I was going, and that's not how we are as people. <laughs> so the work that we're doing is Love Barra Together. We are all acknowledging it's messy. Uh, we know that we've got the answers, but we have to work it out together. Mm-hmm. And I suppose one of the things that, because I was I was expecting you to ask me a little bit, little bit about what didn't work, one of the things that has got in the way has just been people, really, about being human. It's about that problem of being human that we all uh, not just the families we work with, have stuff inside of us that makes us act and react in certain ways. And that matters because all of this work is dependent on the relationships we have with each other. Mm. So, uh, you know, over the last year, I think I've become much better at managing what happens inside of me when, mm. I, when, when I've heard something I don't agree with or somebody's upset me, particularly with the team when I was managing the Love Barrow Families team, that A, I don't have to sort it all out because other people need to be able to have an input in that as well. But B, I can hold my own feelings inside and appreciate, really appreciate where somebody else is coming from, even if I don't necessarily agree with it. So I think sometimes these things like Love Barra Families, um, when people try and do things differently, maybe there's not enough attention paid to the messiness and the that side of it's always going to be like this kind of, you know, it's always going to be a bit bumpy and we just have to find a way of managing that together. Yeah, and through that messiness and through that bumpiness, we learn and we learn what works, we learn what doesn't work and we can adapt it accordingly. Yeah, and we learn about ourselves. Yeah. We learn, you know, about how to manage what's inside of us and what it is that happens and who we are and all of that, don't we? Yeah, yeah. So I didn't ask you about what didn't work. Apart from what you've just said, is there anything that you think didn't work and that you've learned from? I think that the environment was very different then and I didn't we didn't appreciate that at the time. So when the, at the time when Love Barra Family started, whilst the services were really chaotic and it felt um really difficult, in terms of innovation there was much more well there's more money more money and more hope and less fragmentation so services have been commissioned differently since then and the health trust that I work for is split there's you know there's some services are in one health trust and some services are in another so the idea of uh, of integrating mainstream services became impossible really because of the environment so I don't know whether that's something that didn't work but it is something to note that you know, you're constrained really by the wider, what's going on in the wider world and the wider system. Yeah, and I think that that, that's very important that you can do your little bit within, to a certain extent, within the local context, but there are always going to be external constraints on on what you do. And I think for me, what I realised probably about a year ago is that... um, in a way that doesn't matter you know that that my joy and my happiness and my satisfaction can come from the moments that I spend with people where I can just sit alongside them you know it comes from the meeting we had yesterday where we're all really excited about the values and behavior stuff we're doing um it doesn't have you don't have to have everything right it doesn't have to be big things you can take joy and satisfaction from 
small things and we are making a difference those small things those 20 families it does make a huge difference yeah and seeing that you're making a difference can be self-affirming as well Mm. yeah yeah but I think sometimes when people talk about system change they're talking about the big stuff aren't they Mm. you know particularly managers and it's really difficult because I went from being a sort of senior practitioner to be in the world of all these chief execs and things and I assumed that everybody new stuff and spoke to each other and had relationships and they don't you know they don't so whilst we all talk about integration it it, it, as everybody you know as lots of other people like me would say the same thing it doesn't always happen on the ground does it and I think the things that do happen on the ground even if they're only small are just as significant if not more significant than all that stuff that everybody is talking about that happens Mm. or they want to happen much higher up yeah it's often the little things that make the big difference it is yeah 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 that brings me to the end of uh, my questions and things i wanted to talk about is there, is there anything that we haven't covered trina that you want to to mention before I don't think there is i think i've talked far more than i thought i was going to talk and i do feel like i've said the things that are important and it's been really good to talk about actually it's not often it's a bit like the AAI, it's not often you can just sit down and tell everybody all about something yeah. that we have, so yeah, thank you. And it's been really, really lovely and really um, inspiring to hear about what you're you're doing in my old neck of the woods, so I'm really, really happy to have had you on this podcast, so thank you very much, Trina. Yeah. for listening to this research in practice podcast we hope you've enjoyed it why not share with your colleagues and let us know your thoughts on twitter tweet us at research ip